Maddie B, how you doing? Good, good. What's happening, Charlie? Thanks for joining us. Hello, Charlie. Um, yeah, so I think today we just wanted to spend some time talking about time preference. Uh, it's been something that you and I have talked about inside discussions. I think it's come up in a few different podcasts that we've talked about. Um, I mean, obviously, both of us are interested in Bitcoin, um, cryptocurrency in general. I think time preference is something that it, it relates to life beyond, like, financial means, though. It's just general decision-making. I think we we see time preference show up there and it's, it's kind of a lot of the problems that I think we've identified in our country right now that have led us to where we are, are a, a result of time preference. Would you say that's a fair, fair point? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think we'll hammer that home. I won't uh, hit the nation as a generalization on that subject right now, but it's interesting that, everyone participates in this either consciously or unconsciously and there's mathematical ways to figure out the discounting mechanism but when you apply this to life and you look at your own habits uh there's a lot to be reflected on this subject and and it relates to incentives and so ironically i can conceptually know this uh in my own life but I've never spent much time looking at the actual definition of time preference until uh, it was brought up in conversation. So I think it's something everybody should at least explore and understand, at least at a rudimentary level. Yeah. And just just uh, since you didn't really look it up from a definitional standpoint until it came up in conversation, maybe it'd be beneficial to just quickly give a, a definition for people who are listening who may be wondering what the heck time preference is and are either looking it up on Google or just want us to tell them really quick. Um, And I think that'll be helpful to kind of set the foundation for the rest of the conversation. So basically you can think of time preference in two components, people who have low time preference or people who have high time preference. Low time preference is an emphasis on your kind of average well-being further into the future, meaning you're willing to forego um, things that might satisfy you now in the immediate future um, for some future value or gain. If you think about it in investing, um, it's the willingness to not spend your money on some good right now and maybe save it. Um, what you would typically be rewarded with is interest, let's say. Or if you are investing in, in like a stock or any type of cryptocurrency, maybe the price appreciation is kind of the reward that you're given for, for holding on to it and having that lower time preference. And then high time preference, on the other hand, is more of an emphasis on well-being right now in the immediate future. So you can think of that as people who are more inclined to spend the money as it comes in as opposed to save or satisfy their um, wants and desires in the immediate future as opposed to maybe thinking um, more long term. You think that kind of. And yeah, for a clarification, uh, do you. There's, there's, there's a distinguishment that I read that uh, I would not have innately thought of. And that is somebody that has high time preference, but they don't actually have the capability to execute on that. Meaning somebody would like to save for the future because they value it, but they actually just simply don't have the resources to do it at this juncture. That person would actually... Sorry, so you mean 
low time preference, you mean? Yes, I'm sorry. sorry. That that person okay. would actually have low time preference, even though their actions today don't match that because it's intentional based, right? And it's and it requires resources to execute when you're talking about it financially. Um and, and this just literally brings up a lot of questions about people's decisions that um, unfortunately have lived a long life already. And, and, and there are consequences for your choices between low and high time preferences. Um, and so I don't know if you wanted to jump in and, and run with uh, it from here, but I think that's a pretty basic definitional perspective. Yeah, I think you mentioned kind of trade-offs or there's consequences for those decisions. And I think just one thing to kind of frame it up is really whether it's money or whether it's health or regardless of what it is, it really all relates to do you want to consume your time now or do you want to have more time in the future? Whether that means saving your money, investing it so that you can retire at an at a earlier date and have that time to spend uh, your life as you see fit? Or do you want to just, you know, execute on it and do it now and then maybe not have that added time in the future? Or if it's, let's say, exercising and eating healthy versus being sedentary and consuming unhealthy foods that may give you like a sugar high or feed your dopamine receptors, um, you know, you're trading your time. You know, I'm, I, I would be putting time in in the gym or preparing healthy food so that ultimately I can live a longer life or I could be lazy, not eat healthy, do what kind of sounds convenient right now, but ultimately may not give you the longevity that you're looking for um, in the long run in terms of time. Well, and this leads into temptation, right? Because just because you uh, may want to uh, do the quote unquote right things when it comes to like a healthy diet or managing your money, uh, there are temptations that that may sway your time preference. And I think that's what on a macro level, uh, the trend in our country may be being subjected to. Um. And, 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 and that might tie into the liquidity preference because isn't that the uh, opposing force to incentivize you to choose your time preference differently? Um, it, it basically is the, the, it relates to the interest and the interest rates. It's the inducement yeah, to sacrifice a desired degree of liquidity for non-liquid contractual obligation. So, so you would be incentivized to go into a non-liquid contractual obligation for likely consumption now. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Like, you can kind of ask, like, what's the precursor here? Is is central banking and you know the cutting of interest rates? Does that drive the like higher time preference in other areas of life, or is there something else at the root cause that is, is driving higher time preference elsewhere and central banking is a symptom of a more deeply rooted issue? I personally uh, tend to believe the fact that central banking 
is it, it is really money makes the world go round. It sounds very cliche, but it's it's a fact. It 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 is it is our time at the end of the day. You're trading your time for and your productivity for money in return. And and that ultimately is is what makes the world move. And if you are incentivized to just spend that time and, and, and feed your immediate desires, it's ultimately going to bleed into other areas of life. So, yeah, I think it's, it'd be interesting. I don't know exactly how you could get data on it necessarily. I mean, if you look at like um, WTF happened in 1971, uh, there's a lot of there's a strong relationship there from when he broke away from the gold standard and other negative impacts, kind of higher time preference activity that occurred in society. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe central banking isn't the root cause and I'm just biased in my tendency to, to believe that. But, but I think um, it's definitely permeating our society and we're unable to like, generally speaking, I would say there are so many temptations, whether that is social media, unhealthy food, not exercising, you know, uh, sex or like just giving up dating applications, dating applications, things like that, that are so tempting. And maybe you can say no to 50% of them or 75% of them, but, you know, people are still vulnerable to, you know, 50, the other half or the other 25%. So, so who knows? Um, but but I also think it has to do with the incentive structure as a whole and the system as a whole, right? The central bank wasn't around during the creation of our country, and there was economics and time preference far before that. But I would say that uh, ultimately when you say investing, you take your money, which is time. Well, you expect to get your time back, right? That's, that's the interest, uh, that you're expecting to receive back in money, which you exchange for goods and services and a lifestyle. And so when there is interest rate manipulation to induce spending now, Normally, it would seem to me as an individual, you would have to really actually examine your time preference, right? But as a country, when you have created this entity that really has an unlimited budget, does the, does that entity have to consider time preference if they believe they have an infinite supply of money, which costs them no energy? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. And to kind of build on that, because you don't necessarily have to truly think and process and weigh the opportunity costs of your decision making, because you are in control, you have the world reserve currency, so you don't have to worry about will there be a shortage of cash? You can just print more. It, I think it makes us a lot more reactionary um, to symptoms instead of actually attacking the root cause, because we can just apply band-aids left and right and grab as much duct tape as we can to fill the patches and in the boat um, to try and stop it from sinking. But at the end of the day, like it's not going to hold up. It's not, it's not, it's not getting to the root cause. We're not building a, a stronger boat that is going to prevent any iceberg from like puncturing it and causing it to sink. You know what I mean? 
Uh, totally. Um, but when you're when you're having that wielded power from a centralized source comprised of not very many people, right? And then you unleash that ability to your population in a beneficiary fashion, such as helicopter money, for instance. But there's all sorts of subsidies, right? That's basically what it is. It's a subsidy. They're not really expected to understand, especially because I am involved in finance in the legacy field. Everyone thinks low interest rates is a real gift. And it's a gift for right now. But if you think about the cause of why those interest rates went low, fundamentally, those are not good reasons from an economically prosperous viewpoint, uh, true growth, GDP growth, uh, especially when you take out government spending. So it's kind of like you're pulling... What's you're pulling one over on people, right? And and it's not even necessarily that I'm saying it's intentional, but everyone would respond to that with uh, the ignorance is bliss mentality. I'm going to go borrow for a cheap rate to buy things that I previously thought I could not afford or costed more money. On the surface, that seems very great. That seems very awesome. And I just think that we have accepted. Uh, that there's no opportunity cost for that to a certain extent. And I could be wrong, but I, I would love to actually have somebody play devil's advocate on that because all I see is it having a slow, silent, almost negative effect. Yeah, and we've talked about this before um, in previous discussions and in previous episodes. Just like the the idea and necessity of suffering, and just prolonging suffering and prolonging something that is likely inevitable, because central banks effectively created the business cycle. I think if you didn't have the ability to print money endlessly, you wouldn't have the business, there would be more of an equilibrium in the, the shocks that we see in the boom and bust of our existing business cycle would likely be spread out over a much longer period of time. And so if if and when we ever achieve this suffering that is ultimately, which I think is, is inevitable, if we're going to turn over a new leaf and, and actually uh, address the problems that we've been pushing down the road... I don't know. We need sound money. We need sound money, of course. I mean, that's that's that would be my argument is we need sound money. But like, there's suffering. Well, it's go ahead, go ahead. So sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but there's suffering required because we've ignored what's been in front of our face so long. If you started with sound money from a foundational level, at this point in our uh, length span as a nation, we wouldn't have to go through some. Uh, intense period of suffering to get back to square one. We would have started at square one. We 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 deviated from that path, and so that's where the not, uh, level of pain is just not being accepted. The level of sacrifice is not being accepted, and that is the slow invisible scenario. But you know, I think the mathematical version is uh, the time preference theory of interest is that 
there is actually no real uh, gain or loss because it equals out in the discount. So therefore, the boom and bust cycle wouldn't occur. Therefore, all of the growth in the last, let's just call it 50 years since 1971, or maybe even since 1913, when the Fed was created, you know, ultimately, we would just be able to use all of that exponential growth to our advantage, and we should be slingshotting into the stratosphere of fucking awesomeness. But instead, we are preoccupied with these conundrums that are unfortunately just not being addressed in reality, right? It, it, we are being given a perception of reality, and we are totally dodging the conversation of incentives, which leads you into the time value of money, which is the time preference theory. And unfortunately, that does, in my opinion, lead me back to the Federal Reserve and the absorbent influence that they have over our society and probably worldwide, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because, I mean, we can sit here and talk about sound money all we want. Um, I, I'm hopeful that we can eventually whether that means kind of bifurcating as a society and having a fraction of our population that adopts sound money and moves forward in that direction while the others can kind of i don't want to say left behind but pursue the central banking alternative or if we can move to a sound money standard in general i, I don't know if that's possible in our lifetimes i would like to, to to move towards that as best as we can before we're no longer here but but yeah, to, to kind of just reinforce your point, we, we have been pushing our problems down the road without actually solving anything. In, in just in my lifetime, you look at what happened in 2007 and 2008 with the Great Recession. And we didn't, yes, there was, there was for sure some pain there. Like definitely people lost homes. There was, there was, there was. some pain. But the question is, was it as painful as it could have been had the banks not been bailed out? I'm going to guess the answer is no. Well, the answer is no. And, and the answer is also who suffered the pain in that scenario, right? Um, and Was it the people that caused the problems in the first place? Or was it the people that had no idea what was going on behind the scenes? It was the people that responded to the incentives put into place by the decision makers. And it doesn't seem to be that the decision makers were subject to enough pain to learn their lesson. I mean, that's just my opinion. No, totally agreed. And I think that then puts us in a situation where we're likely on the verge of, you know, recreating similar mistakes today. Right. We never we never address the problems. No, and you could argue the rest of the world didn't either because Evergrade is going through a very similar scenario and they're likely to get bailed out by the CCP because that is what is going to happen in some form or fashion because it would be contradictory to behavioral history of a government to do so. Yeah, it, it does bring up an interesting point, though, when you talk about, I think, the difference in time preference between the United States and China you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Evergrande. You have some people on one end of the spectrum saying this is China's version of Lehman Brothers. And then you have other people on the other end of the spectrum saying this is not going to be nearly as big of a deal as, um, you know, what took place with Lehman Brothers um, in the in the you know mid 2000s. But um, or sorry, early 2000s. But 
the, the difference between China and the United States, you look at just more recent actions with China in limiting video game hours in uh, kids under 18 years old. They, they're limited to three hours of video game playing time per week. Whereas, you know, in the United States, we have no such restrictions. Now, you can argue freedom of choice and like uh, ability to live your life how you want, regardless. But you can very clearly see that China, they're making decisions based off of data, I would I would say. I don't think these people just make decisions off the cusp. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's clearly intentional to try and have a long-term benefit or cost avoidance for their population. And that's kind of been the name of the game with China for the last however many hundred years. They have straight up struggled. Like their people have struggled. And this, the country was built on the backs of those people. But now they're a world superpower again. And yes, with it still being on the people. I'm not, but yes. I'm not saying I'm not. By the way, I'm not. I'm not advocating for that whatsoever. I'm saying they are literally willing to endure max suffering in order to 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 achieve their uh, what they would call rightful place of power in the world on the world stage. They believe they are the most dominant country in the world. I I advocate and align myself and my values with freedom and pretty much the polar opposite of Chinese Communist Party. Um, but I'm just saying they they are willing to do whatever it takes. They have a very, very low time preference, whereas right now it seems like the United States is focused on all the high time preference things on pleasing people in the short term, whether that is you know political correctness in speech or heli- providing helicopter money to people or you know making sure everyone has an opportunity to go to college just so they can feel better about themselves and making sure that you know we don't allow anyone to speak out against people in power or against our institutions. You know what I mean? It's- well, this like leads back to, uh, you know, their incentive structures and the structure of their nation state. And it really does give them the ability, just like you said, especially since uh, the globalization era of manufacturing and the Clinton era, uh, China has had a low time preference with a high time horizon. And they can do that a lot easier than us because they have a long-term leadership position, right? Like we have short-term presidents, we have short-term congressmen. And so we're we're at a little bit of a disadvantage when it comes to a centralized uh, governing of a population. And, and, and we just are, we just have a fundamental incapability in that respect. And, and freedom used to yield us great results, but we we don't have any extreme, right? We don't have the extreme of freedom that we once did, in my opinion. And we don't have the extreme of a uh, authoritative leadership. So that does leave us in this reactionary period of what seems to be catered to all those things. Because that is what is required to win an election, distract the population, whatever it is that we're reacting to as a country. And and I think that is some fear-based weakness that our leaders have. And that's just non-existent in China. They don't have weakness. 
it, or they sure. at least appear yes. to not have any weakness. And the it's interesting because you know China is about as centralized as it gets, and they not only appear centralized, and they're they're marketing themselves as a centralized government and country and party, but they're also mm-hmm. executing as a centralized government party and, and having centralized institutions that all roll up to the Chinese Communist Party. Whereas in the United States, I would argue that we have tried to represent decentralization uh, throughout the course of our, our nation's history. And we are decentralizing kind of um, the vote in the direction of our country to the people. Sure, you know, it's a representative democracy or republic or whatever, but we are we are failing to actually execute as a, a decentralized country nowadays. We are we are we are marketing ourselves as a decentralized country and a democracy, but we are actually behind the scenes going about our our um, activities in a centralized manner. Okay, can I make a relation that might be a stretch, but I think it is sure. uh, kind of ironic. Is you know the whole Robin Hood sales pitch of democratizing trading, right? Well, our government has tried to democratize legislation and checks and balances of power and, and run a democracy with the incentive structure of decentralization. And like, we've done a lot better than everybody else has, but it's turned into a similar situation of Robin Hood where you're screaming democracy, you're screaming democratizing trading. You're screaming you're screaming tax the rich like yeah. AOC. Yeah, and then you have all of the things that have come out about Robin Hood's business practice and how they make money. And and it's not full-fledged democratizing trading. There's more to the story because there needs to be because they need to make money and the government unfortunately needs to tax to make money and they need to do it at a high rate. And they also suck at spending the money and they can't figure it out. So it it's, it's almost incentivized corporate companies in our country to follow the lead. And I don't know that if Robin Hood is a good or a bad thing, but it, it's very similar from that respect. Yeah, totally. And I don't know. I wonder, I mean, we've talked about this before, and I think we're kind of veering off time preference, but I think it's worth continuing this conversation. Um, so we... But but it's, it, it's related, dude. The time preference no, for Robin totally Hood is, is yes. why they are not representing their sales pitch of democratizing trading in a, in a, in a, (laughs) I don't know, fair manner, if you will. It's, it's not authentic. Correct. Correct. And and, and, and they're responding to their time preference based on how to make money, how to borrow money from the federal reserve as a publicly traded company and, and all those things. So I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you're fine. Um, I just think we're at a point right now where policy is, it's so slow. It's so, we are moving so fast in so many other areas and you have the potential to move fast. You look at just about any industry right now, they have adopted 
Like it has been disrupted by technology in some way, shape or form. And if it hasn't already, it's on the verge of, of doing so. And tech, well, they all had to adapt to it or they died, right? Exactly. It Well, to, to some extent, unless there was helicopter money thrown their way, at which point sure. they will likely die at some point um, in, in the future. And, but that's not how politicians are working right now. They're not moving fast. They're not, they're not leveraging the full potential of our country's intel. Like if you took the intelligence of every single American combined right now, um, which is what like a true democracy would look like is like making policies that work for everyone and everyone feels like they are represented as part of the policy or that their voice is heard. Like that's not the case right now. It's like you said, people are going through kind of like Robin Hood. They're selling themselves as a, you know, pro X or an anti Y and elect me because of this. And then if they get into into power, do they actually follow through on those things? No, that's not that's not how the incentive works, because once you're there, the incentive is how can I stay there? How can I make friends so that nobody you know funds my my uh, primary competitor in the next election? And then how can I reconvince the people again? And so I don't know. Th- this may not be related, but huge fan of open source. And like, how can we open source our policy? Like, I know it's extremely unrealistic and it's not going to happen, but can you think of, I mean, it does happen in Switzerland. That's about as open source as it gets, but the country is 10 million people. And so it poses a larger scalability issue here. Yeah. And and don't don't get me wrong. There's like um, a lot of really smart people on places like Twitter. And then there's also just a population of people that I would say are not necessarily uh, adding the most positive value on Twitter, but it's their choice, whatever. Highly emotional sure. reaction. But I, we talk about this kind of jokingly, but I think it. I think if we had a politician who was just like, "Hey, I I know that I don't know it all." Like most politicians will never admit it, but nobody actually knows it all, and most people are just pretending like they know it, and that's how they've gotten to where they are in life. And like everyone has a little bit of imposter syndrome. But what if we could get a politician to get up there, be like, "All right, here's this five thousand page bill that there's no way in heck, you know, myself and my staffers are going to be able to actually get through." Let's do this. I'll have the staffers read through it as much as possible, but we're going to actually upload all five thousand pages to Twitter. And we're going to just open source the entire document to the world. And tell me what you see. Tell me where there's gaps. Tell me where things don't make sense. Like adding some additional transparency and input from everyone. Sure, you're going to get people who are just trolling and don't actually add any value. But, um, you know, if, if you could do it in a way where the people who truly care and are are coming at it in an objective way and want to see the long-term like benefit of our country, I think that's a much more effective way to govern and, and create policy than to just, you know, try and fit in your wording and your phrases and your parts of the bill here and there to like help your district. Like let's think bigger picture here. Like we can do better than human beings, literally just only the people in DC reading this, you know, and, and, and Americans just, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a fascinating thought, and I think some of these extreme thoughts should be brought to light, right? 
um, because it allows for progress. And synthesizing the data on Twitter would be difficult to do, but you'd get better at it, right? And people would inevitably get more educated about it because it probably would somehow end up on Facebook, which is a different segment of the population, and it would likely spread through the networks. And we have great software products in the United States. Don't quote me on this, but it actually might be one of our largest exports. And I think that's kind of forgotten about. And it's a real advantage that the United States of America has. And I just do agree with you that it is being slowed down. And I don't think that's advantageous uh, to our country as a whole or like human progress. Um, because we've become dependent on it. And so there's really no point in trying to pretend like we're not. Yeah, but you know, when you relate it back to open source too, like the users of, I mean, let's, I'm gonna probably butcher this, but I'll try like the users of Linux, which is an open source operating system, might be more, but that's what I know it for. The users of Linux, are also the ones who can like contribute to finding all oh, like here's the bug in this update or here's where we need to update things like they're everyone is their incentives are aligned at having like a good product that has no gaps and no flaws because they're going to ultimately end up using it so you get like everyone involved to making sure that it's beneficial for everyone and it's not just you know, how can I make a, a decision to make my constituents pleased or how can I like my, please one of my biggest donors or things like that? I don't know. It just it, it feels more decentralized and kind of like a net positive for uh, everyone. Well, it's a step in the right direction to act as a collective. Right. Correct. Uh, and I think that's important because. There's a lot of people out there that have a lot to offer and they just might not be in the right time or place. And that allows the internet to create that possibility if you want to put it out there. But dude, there's also really big risks that come with that. And neither one of us have even lived in a time period where sound money existed. And I think if you expose some of those bills for what they were and just put them out on the internet, there would be a serious question of the spending because it would actually be laid out. The, the, the issue is though, is I think Chamath uh, said it pretty eloquently, was the bills are highly illegible, meaning like they can't, that you can't even read them after it's, it's a barrier to entry just like um if you if you aren't in like the like investment banking or you're not in financial services or or dealing if you're not dealing with money on a day-to-day -day basis literally the language that is used in that subculture of the population is what makes it so intimidating like that is 90 percent 95 percent of the battle is just wrapping your head around the different terms that are being used when you realize that like there's probably a word you already use in your everyday language that you could just interchange with it but they intentionally make it um a foreign language a so foreign that language that much harder to be immerse yourself in yeah and, and this leads you back to you know 
when time preference gets so high that it becomes compulsionary or obsessive or addictive you know i think these are why the analogies or or synonyms are made to our economy as a drug addict because you know essentially based on what i know about that which fortunately unfortunately is significant personally we have the same behavioral characteristics as an economy and wall street and our reaction to the dopamine that they injected to the economy which is essentially just liquidity based on monetizing debt like what does what needs to happen for a drug addict to recover and that's a vast answer especially when you're relating it to a conceptual drug addict not like a real one that we understand uh you know that's kind of sad to think about but there there's certainly always always hope and so you know how do you influence people positively to grasp an understanding of this in their individual lives because that like will change like the people do have power right if every if, if your actions as an individual slowly become less reactionary to the fed or government policy and you may have an exit strategy or at least one that you can live in both worlds which i would argue going into bitcoin and and some of these sovereign characteristics which one is still property in the united states to a certain extent but that's even becoming diminished so you see it in the capital allocators of the world but i would love for it to progress into just everyday thought processes yeah i think um just relating our economy back to maybe a, a drug addict i feel like the first step is admitting is it admitting that you're is it so you're totally you're, right you have totally right and and I, I don't think we're even there yet i don't and i don't know when or if we'll get there if we need to though at some point if we want to minimize the suffering even though the suffering is going to likely be substantial um but i think now the, go ahead i was actually going to ask you like i would say our, our our characteristics of as of late um maybe since we've known each other actually have been low time preference um you know off the call you've outlined your you know five year to get to where you are now and and the, the your goal is still demand a low time preference right like you can't really switch that if if you want to continue on the trajectory that you're at but ironically i still actually really believe that the low time preference even in today's environment with all the temptations and incentives for high time preference dude there's extreme reward in acting like that totally I mean, totally and i think one thing that we could do um, not only for like people maybe listening, but also for ourselves, it's always good to just like reinforce these ideas and kind of systematize it is just lay out a process for how you can take inventory of your life and, and figure out, you know, first diagnose how are your decisions? What's your decision-making tendency or preference right now? Is it, is it, typically high or is it low and where do you 
do you want satisfaction now or or will you uh, delay satisfaction for a greater satisfaction later? Yeah, I mean, and I think for me, it's like I lay it out in three steps. So the first is, where do you want to go? Whether that's five years, you know, one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, where do you want to go? Like, where do you see yourself? And what is needed to get there, right? Like most people have this idea in their head and there doesn't have to be a clear answer. Like you're, it's going to get more unclear as the, the further out that it goes. But if you can have the yeah. options or like ideas of where you want to go, at least getting it directionally correct is important. And once you understand kind of, okay, what are the goals are, then you have to figure out what's needed, like what sacrifices are needed, what decisions need to be made. And, you know, where can you be low time preference and or where do you need to be low time preference? And maybe where can you sacrifice a little bit? Like, where can you have a little bit of a higher time preference? Like, I think it is about I'm typically not a very balanced person. Like I'm on one end of the spectrum and many things I do in life. But. If you if balance is your thing, like finding a balance without sacrificing like what needs to be done to realize that long term vision and, and those goals. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily have anything directly to add to it. Um, taking inventory of your yourself uh, is, is actually very important in, in recovery of anything. And, and that just requires brutal honesty. And so, you know, there's going to be many things that cloud your goals uh, but making sure you take enough time to reflect on your inventory in an honest manner is is super necessary, and I think it's I think it needs to be practiced uh, for for people that don't have a tendency to focus on the future. Um, you know, I actually kind of want to go to the place where we talk about retirement because if you're listening to this and you're at that age, you know, what does that look like for you? And if you're my age or your age, you know, what does that look like for you? Because you're not guaranteed to live forever, you know? So what does that balance look like? Because there is a reality that uh, enjoying life throughout the course of it is something that everyone would likely want to do. Um, so figuring out the things that you mentioned are absolutely necessary. So then you can analyze the importance of things as they come to you and you're going to change your actual plan many times, but you can still hold true to those things. But from a financial perspective, you know, we have a lot of people that I see that actually do not spend much time thinking at that 50 year mark. Um, and you might have that planned out through you through a pension or a 401k. But do you even know that that's going to be there? Do you know how it mechanically works? Do you should you really have faith in that mechanism to take care of you as well as the transfer payments that are supposedly promised to you in the future in Social Security and things? Or in order to. to you know, adapt, survive, and thrive in the current environment when you're looking at time preference and you're looking at the returns on some of these things and the probability that some of these promises will come to fruition, you know, from where I stand, if you're taking an inventory of yourself, 
I mean, it pretty much falls on your shoulders. And, it, and, and, and that's where I'm at with the honesty part of it. And it's not fun to accept that responsibility in totality. But for me, it's something that I have just, that, that's where I'm at with it. Like, I don't have a money manager. I don't contribute to my 401k. And I will put that capital into the market myself because that's the best scenario I can come up with is maximum personal accountability. Yeah. And it's funny because like, you know, if you, if you went to like 95, I don't know, you went to the majority of people and you told them I don't have a money manager and I don't have a 401k, they would immediately assume this guy is not planning for the future, but in all reality, right. Quite the opposite is that you are so concerned about planning for the future that you're taking matters into your own hands and you're being responsible for that and you are not you're not willing to just trust and i think this once again i hate to bring things i don't actually i love to bring things back to bitcoin because that's what i do <laughs> but the the idea of don't trust but verify you're not going to trust someone else to do these things for you you're going to get it done and do it for yourself and you you operate with that mentality in all areas of life and the likelihood of you being able to survive in the event of a major catastrophe is significantly higher than someone who, who doesn't have that mentality. And whether that means that, oh, the, the assets that you're investing in are going to withstand that catastrophe, they might not. But it doesn't matter because the fact that you've trained your mind to think that way with personal responsibility and accountability, it'll allow you to to take whatever challenge comes at you head on and, you know, try and live like the, the sovereign individual lifestyle. Yeah, and I just think it, it, it reinforces that reaction if that ever does happen. And my positions do not yield me a safety net in crisis. Um because there's no one to blame but me. So mm-hmm. I've become pretty good at spending about five seconds on that feeling and then being like, okay, well, what am I going to do about it? Because I fucked it up. And and to learn you learn so much more too. Exactly. And and that's something I can live with and I can swallow. And and I don't know why that is, but thus far it's yielded me what I believe to be where I want to go. I have faith in where I want to go because I've, I've taken the responsibility into my own hands. And this isn't to say that I like, you know, don't believe in a higher power because you know, that, that gets into a confusing place. Uh, you're required to help yourself, right? Like even if you have faith in things, you got to help yourself. So, so blind faith is not the same thing as faith. And, and, and I don't actually, let me retract that analogy uh, because I don't think it directly applies. You can have faith with personal responsibility. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Sorry. Just one thing that I thought of as you were talking is just the differentiation between generalists and specialists and when they're like, valuable. I mean, you can make the case that they're both valuable at any period of time. But historically speaking, I think uh, more prosperous times tend to favor specialists um, because things are functioning as they should. 
And so you can outsource and delegate things to other people who specialize. And so, you know, Maximum, maximum efficiency. efficiency and and it, it you know you maybe maybe if you're managing your own money you're not going to generate as high of a, re, of a return today let's say as someone else might be able to um because they're a specialist in it but you are what i would say is more of a generalist and generalists tend to thrive in times of um i don't know if i wouldn't call it times of uncertainty because you're able to take matters into your own hands, have that personal responsibility and accountability and um, deal with whatever challenges life throws at you or any you know, repercussions for any mistakes that you've made along the way and ultimately learning from that. So you're going to sacrifice that efficiency and that time, you know, right now to then have those lessons that you can learn and apply them later on so you don't face the same problems in the future. So once again, just reinforcing the idea of having a low time preference, kind of aligning with being more of a generalist as opposed to being a specialist. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, and, and like, you know, for an, for an everyday investor, real estate comes to mind, right? It's like everywhere you got bigger pockets, you got Robert Kiyosaki, you got everybody in their mom talking about real estate and, and real estate's hot in the market right now, right? It's a low time. It's a, it's, it's a low time preference. Um, is it beneficial because of federal reserve policy? The answer is yes. It doesn't matter. It's still a low time preference. And it's one of the reasons why I do like it because it has a bunch of attributes that I actually find similar to Bitcoin, but it just still lives in the traditional space that you can benefit from. But, but you know, it's just why I gravitate towards it as one of the things that I participate in instead of a traditional mutual fund or uh, a money manager allocating my resources. And maybe after I learn a ton of lessons, maybe I will have the tools in my tool bag to assess a money manager that I have faith in putting my money with. But that's just not at the point of growth where I'm currently at. Um, and your network is important to that, right? Like not every money manager is the same, not every realtor is the same, and not every professional in any industry is the same. And it, you know, it leads me back into why I think that we do want the best people in those positions, you know, thinking about a low time preference, uh, not necessarily, you know, who might be needed at our company for an image, um, not to go down that road, but like, there's a sacrifice, there's, there's a trade off. Um, but no, I, I think, I think, you know, that hit, hits home on a lot of subjects. And this was an open discussion. And kind of the first time I really looked at time preference from a definitional perspective to apply it in finance and life. But I think it's something that should be actually just straight up taught in schools. <laughs> like 100%. I, I agree. Like, I mean, well, what is it? Oh, it's like the kid with the, have you ever seen the kid with the cupcake or like the donut and you put it in front of their face? Dude, I watched like, a right. YouTube video on that and dude, they went to extremes, like smelling it and playing with it. And it was fascinating to watch. Yeah. 
And then there's some of the kids who just eat it right away. Yes. And, and so, but it's never really like fully taught. And if it is taught, I wouldn't say it's probably contextualized in the way that people need in order to apply to their own lives. And that's the hardest thing with any type of concept that you're learning is applying it to your own life. We could sit here and talk circles all day about whatever concept, but even something like time preference, like, you know, you have to consistently try and apply and, and it's constantly going to come up anytime you're making a decision. All right. Is this low time preference or high time preference? And sometimes you'll kick yourself because you're like, dang, I just, I took the easy way out there. I was, you know, having high time preference. Well, and admission is how you correct it in the future should you want to, you know, but it's funny because like, I think history is our teachers to the current living bodies, right? You know, but, you know, how do you teach something to a child in a system when the teachers don't live with the principles of time preference and the teachers of the teachers, uh, since we are so far removed from many of this study, don't teach that either. So, you know, it becomes a reset conversation at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, we could, I don't know. It's, I don't know how you ingrain it in people other than practice what you preach. If people ask you, Oh, like, how did you do what you've done or how, how did you become successful? Not saying that I'm successful by any means and that people ask me that question, but like, you know, if it's to come up and people are like seeking advice, don't just tell them, Oh, I did X, Y, or Z. Like give them a framework for how you're actually thinking about things and how you're making decisions and why you make the decisions you do and why you're willing to sacrifice the things that you sacrifice with the expectation of, you know, having more time in the future or having that reward, that delayed gratification um, further down the road. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately money replenishes your time. So, so that's kind of why the two are changing. Oh, I think we lost you. Sorry, lost you for a second there. Yeah, I got a phone call. Sorry about that. But that is the trade-off for what we're talking about. And I think being conscious as a successful individual of your time preference is also really important to relay that. So like I said, I have lived this principle in many fashions unconsciously to a certain extent. But prior to today, I probably wouldn't be able to explain that in such a framework that I could now. So Hopefully that gives the people who listen to this conversation the exact same ability because uh, that'll aid in what we're talking about. Definitely. What do you say we uh, wrap it up from here? Yeah, thanks for another call. Thanks, everyone.